The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Giants ticket prices tend to drop right before the start of games? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. One of the coolest things about the app is when you click on the tickets or Within the game, you instantly see a panoramic view of what your view will be from your seats. That, and then, of course, the easy two-tap checkout is fantastic as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. All the things you can't do in a ball game happened and it hurt us and we lost. Welcome to the New York Football Podcast. We're here to break down all those things that hurt the Giants on Monday night at MetLife Stadium. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. Thanks for joining us here on the free episode available wherever you get your podcast. And Dan, the Giants have lost five straight. They're two and seven, six straight to the Cowboys, three and 12 in the division the last three years. And there was a black cat on the field on Monday night. Has there ever been a more fitting non-football incident than that black cat running around the field and then the game falling apart? Yeah, right. I mean, if it was a week earlier, it really would have been fitting, you know, with Halloween and everything. <laughs> but no, definitely, you know, obviously never a good omen. That was uh, it was quite a scene, though. It was pretty funny because no one really wanted to rush out there and uh, try and capture it because uh, he was pretty shifty in the open field. And uh, they just kind of tried to let him get out of there on his own and, and it held up the game for, for quite a few minutes and it was funny because at one point it was like he was obviously at the the far end of the field where the, where the ball was on the other end and they almost like we're gonna keep playing but some of the players were like no 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 like it's funny all these like 300 pound you know behemoths were like i don't want this cap you know coming down here or anything so that uh that was fitting like i said yeah definitely if you're a believe, believer in you know superstitions or, or curses or any of that stuff uh, the Giants were rolling pretty well uh, until the cat made its appearance, and, and then you know everything sort of went downhill from there. So you can kind of an easy correlation to draw if, if you're looking for something. And, and the way things are going for the Giants, you know, you might as well start believing in, in, in curses and everything else because uh, it's as good as an excuse for anything else for for how this franchise has you know gone so far off the rails. Yeah, it reminded me of a couple seasons ago in baseball. The Cardinals uh, had a cat. It wasn't a black cat, but a cat on the field. One of the grounds crew members ended up grabbing the cat and just got just got scratched and and bit and everything as he was running the the cat off the field. Giants at the Giants game last night. Nobody wanted a part of that. They just kind of shoot it down the runway and it, and it was out of the way. I'm sure eventually somebody may have gotten a scar out of that one. All right, let's get to the game though. And um, besides the black cat on the field, the other really ugly thing that continues to, to raise its head here for this team is turnovers, uh, mental miscues as well. Um, we'll get into Daniel Jones's three turnovers and it's just, it just continues for the young quarterback. Um, but early in this game, Dan, the quarter, the, uh, the, the turnovers went the right way. Antoine Bethea, the, the interception on Dak Prescott's first pass of the game, but the Giants then settled for a field goal, and that was a theme that was big in this game early on. The Giants' inability to get touchdowns instead of field goals. Yeah, I mean, that was an absolute killer. I mean, they had five trips inside the red zone, um, you know, first downs inside the 15, even inside the 10 a few times. 
and only came away with one touchdown. I mean, you can't beat any team like that. Uh, you certainly can't beat a team like the Cowboys. Who that was, it was just kind of a weird game, especially the first half, because you know the Cowboys were were sort of dominating the action, but the Giants kind of kept coming up with a big play, or you know the defense was certainly an exercise in, in bending but not breaking in the first half, where you know Zeke would run all over them, and then all of a sudden they'd you know hold them to a field goal, and then you know, the Cowboys missed a field goal, and like you said, the turnovers were were big to to keep the Giants in the game, but they just, you know, they couldn't capitalize. And that's the type of thing that's always, you know, going to kind of, you know, come back to bite you, you know, just leaving points on the board, even little things like Rosas missing the extra point. I mean, they just kind of, you know, leave a lot on the table throughout the game. And, and even, you know, as good as the first half's going, they're, you know, they're up 12 to three with, you know, under three minutes to go. I mean, to come out of that situation, going into the locker room down by a point, I mean, that's that's hard to fathom. I mean, you figure, you know, worst case scenario, okay, you give up a touchdown and and you're only up two, but then to, you know, throw the interception and, and go down, you know, go into the locker room trailing, that's just really deflating. And it's just, you know, this is a losing team and there's really been no signs that, that anything's going to turn around. Um, you know, and obviously I know there's a lot of young players, but it's been different players, different coaches, different everything, but it's like they just can't get the stink of losing off this organization. I mean, you go back to the start of the 2017 season, the Giants have more losses than any team in the NFL. I mean, I don't I don't know if people realize that's just quite, you know, how bad it's been because obviously there's other bad teams, but, you know, the Bengals who are winless this year, you know, they've had a couple seven-win uh, seasons the last couple of years. The Redskins have had that. I mean, even the Browns. The Browns went 0-16 during that stretch, but, you know, they had seven <laughs> wins last year. So it's really, you know, telling just, you know, kind of how far this, you know, once proud franchise has fallen. And, and, and again, the teams like that just find ways to lose. And, and last night was sort of the latest example. It's always, a, you know, kind of a new twist on things, but the end result, you know, always works out to be the same. You mentioned the interception and it, it just hurt, not just because of the bad throw. It was a, it was a throw that shouldn't have been there because of the coverage, but the fact that they threw it at all, instead of trying to run out the clock there with the lead is another thing. I know you questioned that a little bit after the game, but how about Shermer's decision to, to just be, he's always aggressive, but, and sometimes I cheer it, but this time was another example of where it just goes the other way. Yeah, no, I mean, I gen generally like, you know, a coach with an aggressive mindset because, you know, they get the ball back there with 48 seconds left and I think they had all their timeouts and, you know, you just give up a touchdown. So you could just kind of tuck tail and run it a few times and, and punt it away and probably Dallas brought not enough time to, you know, mount the scoring drive. But he says, no, we're going to, you know, keep the foot on the gas. We're going to try to get points before we go into the break. So we're going to have momentum. You know, they had the ball coming out of half. So it's a chance to, you know, swing things totally back in your direction. So I don't really have a problem with that. It's just the problem with Schirmer, he doesn't change gears. It's, it, you know, it goes back to the Cardinals game where he went for them, you know, fourth and 15 when the draw on third and 18 got three yards. It's like, well, now shoot. Now we're in fourth and 15. We've got a punt. Even though I wanted to go for it, we got a punt. Here, you know, you come right out. They throw the pass to Slayton. It should have been, you know, like an eight-yard completion, kind of get things rolling. And, and, and you know, you kind of can, you know, start to build off of that. And he drops it. Okay, so now it's second down. Probably thinking it's time to run it here. But they throw again, and, and Jones off the tar off target, you know, high to Barkley. And now they're down to, you know, I think it was like 34 seconds or something like that at that point. It's third and long. Now let's just run it. Maybe you pop one. Probably not based on how last night went. But you force Dallas to call a timeout. You're going to punt the ball deep into their territory. They're going to have to drive, you know, 50 yards just to get into field goal range. Instead, I mean, just to call an aggressive play in that situation, it's just, you know, risk-reward there. And, of course, you know, it's easy to second-guess 
you know, when it plays out the way it did, where Jones throws a bad pass, Slayton does a bad job, you know, locating the ball, Dallas gets the interception, you know, has a long return, and they're all of a sudden in field goal range. And again, that was just a killer to, you know, go from up nine to down one and basically the blink of an eye at the end of the half there. But I just think that's a, you know, Shermer, again, being aggressive is fine. But you gotta, you know, adjust. You gotta adapt and, and play the situations. He might have gone into that drive saying we're gonna be aggressive, but once it's third and ten, just run the ball, <laughs> play it safe. It's boring, whatever. You're gonna punt again. Probably Dallas not gonna have a time to have to cover so much ground to get into scoring range. You're gonna go into you know the break with the lead, chance to regroup and, and then come out. But uh, you know he just he just <laughs> kind of gets bullheaded and decides, hey, this is what we're gonna do. And, and again, just bad play call. Bad execution, bad result, and again, that's kind of just what losing teams do. They they find ways, you know, to put themselves in these types of holes. And that was a lone uh, turnover for the Giants in the first half. So they actually led the turnover battle at the break, two to one, and down one point in the game. So certainly in it, um, the turnovers in the second half were the ones we've seen from Jones. The fumbles, he's now lost eight fumbles this season. That leads the NFL. Um, the one late in the game. He has his arm back to pass. It gets hit from from behind. I mean, that one, it is what it is. But um, it just, when it's an occasional fumble by the quarterback, you think, okay, it happens. But when it happens as much as it does with Jones, it's clearly something that's going on, whether it's him holding onto the ball too long or, or taking hits where he shouldn't. It's a correctable thing, I feel like, at this point, because it's happening so much that, that he has to, it has to be coached out of him. Yeah. And I mean, I'll give him a pass. I won't even really count the strip sack. I mean, that's, desperation right. desperation mode there and you know he got hit from the blind side we've seen that you know way too many times this season but uh, tough to really preach ball security when you get hit in the back when you're trying to throw the ball so i'll give him a total pass on that but yeah the, i mean the fumble on the scramble it, it's strange because it's you know that's the second time now against just the cowboys where he's been running with the ball and you know pretty routine looking play and you know just gets hit and loses the ball it didn't really make sense it wasn't like you know the Jabril peppers you know forced fumble uh for the giants that was a play where it's tough to hold on to, and you get just leveled. Like I mean, he that was a you know, picture perfect tackle, hit right on the ball, and it, you know popped a million you know feet up in the air because he hit him with such force. With Jones, I mean, I know you got hit kind of going to the ground there, but it, it was strange. It didn't seem like that was enough there to jar the ball loose. It didn't get stripped. Right. It was just sort of the you know the way he got hit there. You know, forces the fumble, but it's definitely a problem. I mean, it's 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 been a recurring issue. You know, he's fumbled in different ways, you know, again, whether it's a strip sack or, or whether it's, you know, kind of being sloppy with the ball in the pocket. Uh, he's Again, he's had these ones with the scrambles. I mean, a lot of stuff, I'm willing to give him a pass. You know, a rookie misreads a coverage. Okay, well, now next time he sees that coverage, you want to see it improved. But just, you know, not being able to take care of the ball, that's not something that, you know, I don't think coaching can fix. I don't care how many drills you do. I mean, that you just got to you gotta do it. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be just come a – a problem for him you know it was it was sort of an issue at duke uh it's been an issue from day one here we go back to the preseason so uh, it may just be kind of part of his dna and you got to live with it but you know the fumble like that one on the scramble is really just inexcusable and it's something that he needs to clean up you know one way or another because his legs are a great asset but if, if you're also you have to start taking into account that it's also putting the ball at risk it, it becomes less of an asset because um you might not want him to run as much because you can't trust him to you know hold on to the ball throughout the run 
And he took some tough hits, too. That was one where he was lunging for the first down, so it's not like he, he's going to slide in that position a yard shy of the first down. He's going to go for it. But um, there was the block that he had on Woods where he really got drilled. And you give credit to a quarterback for, for blocking downfield, um, but then you hate to see him get lit up like he did. He also uh, head first into the audio board, which was a tough one because it was just a kind of a shove on his way out of bounds. But it's week after week he's taking these hits, which I feel like is fine when you're 23 years old. But as you get older, those hits take more of a uh, more of a toll, and he's got to start sliding. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the sliding is one thing that like you said on the scramble. He's you know diving for a first down on a third down, so you know that's that's you got to live with that, but. The blocking thing, it's just got to go. Like, it's kind of funny to see a quarterback, get, you know, kind of laid out trying to be a blocker. Like, haha, he's got to stop doing that, though. That's two times now he's taken huge shots. And listen, everyone knows Daniel Jones is tough. He doesn't need to prove that to anybody. It's, it's great. You know, you know, I'm sure someone will say, oh, that's, that's what we want to see of a quarterback. No, you want your quarterback to start 16 games every season for the next 15 years, like you saw with Eli Manning. And some of that is self-preservation. And I don't care if someone's going to say you're a wimp. We've seen all these guys do it. You know, Tom Brady will tuck and roll at some guy's legs. I mean, all you have to do is get in the way. No one's asking you right. to pancake some guy out there. I mean, you're in the open field, just kind of occupying, like I said, roll, do whatever you got to do. But it, again, it's 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 not a lighthearted thing to me anymore. Now it's happened twice. You got to be smarter. It's just dumb. You can't be taking shots in the open field because the defender's eyes get big. They, they Forget Golden Tate. Okay, he can have a 16-yard run. Like, I'm going to take out Daniel Jones if he's going to stand around and, uh, you know, try to get into the – the physical fray there so uh, that's a trade-off any defense will take to get a you know free shot like that in the open field so uh th- that's the sort of stuff where like I you know you really respect his resiliency and his toughness and his willingness to fight for the extra yard but again I mean the, the greatest ability is availability and, and he has to start acting like a franchise quarterback and, and, and protect himself a little bit more it's great that he's willing to, to do these types of things but it's, it's not going to be great when, you know, next season if he does it and he gets hurt and Alex Tanney has to start for six games because Jones is on the sideline with the, you know, separated shoulder, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm not trying to be dramatic about it, but it just, it just needs to stop. You don't see other, you know, premier quarterbacks doing this type of thing. And I think it's it's an easy thing to eliminate and just tell them, don't worry, no one's going to lose any respect for you, but you're far more important to us, you know, playing every snap uh, and throwing the ball down the field rather than trying to make one great play on a block. All right, switching to other parts of this offense. Saquon Barkley, 14 carries, 28 yards, six catches for 67. Of course, 65 of those came on that one play in the second half that helped set up yet another field goal for the Giants. But um, 14 for 28, I mean, this is a good Cowboys defense, no doubt. But in your eyes, as a guy who's seen Saquon Barkley's entire career here with the Giants, Dan, um, is he back to 100% or is he really still just not there yet after the injury? That's what I'm trying to figure out because, you know, it always felt like he was coming back on the on the short end of that timeline. We all made such a big deal about, you know, oh, he's such a freak and he's back early. But again, it, it's almost like to the Jones point, it doesn't do any good to come back early if you're not going to be 100%, just like with Jones. It doesn't do any good to be tough if you're going to, you know, expose yourself to injury. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's 100%. I don't know if that's, you know, fully to blame for, for the lack of production. I mean, listen. A lot of it starts up front. There, there's nowhere to run, especially all these inside runs. They're just getting eaten up inside, uh, especially, like I said, Dallas has a good front, good linebackers. That's going to be a tough team to run against, period. But, you know, he had some big runs, uh, obviously, in the opener. So, he, he, you know, he's capable. So, I don't know if, if the difference is the ankle. I also think, though, he has that trait where it's like the mix of, like, Barry Sanders and Le'Veon Bell where he's super patient and, and always looking to make the big play. 
And listen, it's what makes him great. It's how you can go two yards, two yards, minus three yards, 65 yards in the blink of an eye. Like that's kind of who he is and, and you have to live with it. But it is kind of tough to watch the other side and Ezekiel Elliott and granted much better offensive line against a much worse defense. I'm not, I'm not comparing like, you know, Zeke's performance, you know, Monday night says he's a better player than Saquon Barkley, but just the running style, everything is downhill. Every single time he gets hit, that defender basically ends up on his back. It's always moving forward, moving forward. A four-yard run becomes six because he runs through a guy. Uh, and you just don't see that with Saquon for his, as big as he is, he doesn't run like that. you know. And listen, he has some traits that guys who are half a size don't even have in terms of quickness and agility. Um, but he, he got back to it a little bit at the midpoint of last season where they really drilled it to him. And he had his best stretch where he was just being decisive, getting downhill, you know, taking the four yards when it was there, taking the two yards when it was there. And he's still talented enough that once in a while he's, his instincts are just going to take over and he is going to break one or he's going to reverse field and do something crazy or bounce one to the outside. That's fine. But I think just too often on Monday night, it was kind of pitter-pattering through the hole, trying to find something. And it closes up fast against a good defense versus a bad offensive line. So whatever creases are there, you got to hit him and you got to hit him fast. And he didn't do that. So I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's a mental thing stemming from the injury you know, I mean, obviously he, he runs, you know, like, like the wind on the, on the screen. So straight line speed still seems to be there, but obviously an ankle injury, maybe it's the cutting and he just doesn't have the same confidence in it. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to, to pinpoint the factor, but the bottom line is he has not looked like the same guy since he returned from that injury. I think he's averaging like three yards of carry over these three games. Um, so it's definitely, you know, a concern. And like I said, it's all encompassing. It's not just him, but you do see that, that level of hesitancy and tentativeness that you know he's gonna have to figure out because when he runs hard you know good things happen and and when he runs like this you know maybe he breaks one every once in a while but more often than not you're you're ending up in you know second and nines and second and twelves and it just puts the offense in a bad spot yeah maybe it's over time just just learning that there's a time there's a play where it's better to take the four yards and then there's those other moments where it's better to dance and make something yeah. special and just seeing it early in a play when you get the ball yeah, and he got to that point, like to his credit. I mean, you know, we saw that in the first half of last season where he was doing a lot of the same stuff he's doing now, and they really drilled it out of him. And he came out of the bye like he was shot out of a cannon. It was, I think it was the Tampa Bay game. Uh, he was just running hard, downhill, downhill. And, and again, he has the talent that if he does that, if he gets in the second level, I mean, it's like lights out. So he just needs to get to that a, a little more consistently and and stop trying to feel like he has to be Superman. But again, I, I can understand why he would feel that way because sometimes he's getting the ball and there's three guys in the backfield and, you know, he's like a PlayStation guy smashing buttons, like spin, jump, you know, whatever. And, and it just doesn't work out. So I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue and there's not an easy solution, but you would like to see him just kind of get back to that mode we saw in the second half of last season. And certainly you'd like to see the guys up front uh, help him out a little bit. Hey, the Giants are playing bad football right now, but there's a lot of other football out there. Weekends made for football, and with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey on the way as well, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app and with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. This week, DraftKings is running a first touchdown scorer promotion. Just bet on the first touchdown scorer in any primetime pro football game and get protected with your wager back if they score at any point in the game. How's that for some insurance? And don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting, so you can bet on the games while they're happening. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's switch over to the defense now, Dan. Um, and you mentioned Ben, but don't break. And then they broke completely in the fourth quarter. But I want to go back kind of before that and the play that's getting a lot of attention in this game. Giants up 12 to 3, second quarter. Prescott finds Blake Jarwin, 42 yards. Looked like it was going to be a big play, not a touchdown. But Janoris Jenkins, he kind of olays it. Um, I, I almost compare it to like, it looked like a like a swinging door and a picket fence the way he tried to make that tackle. And Shermer defended him after the game, but, I mean, it was a bad effort. Yeah, no, it was terrible. And it's tough because those are the two guys, you know, most responsible for that player, Ogletree and Jenkins. You know, Ogletree's a captain. Jenkins is a guy that they're looking at as, you know, a leader of their young defensive backs. And, and those guys, you know, the, kind of the worst of both of their game was on display. I mean, with Ogletree, it's not really a, an effort issue. It's a recognition. It's a talent. It's all, all that type of thing. I don't know what he was thinking. He's in zone. It's late in the half. It's like second and 10. Dak's scrambling. You know, if he runs and picks up five yards, not that big of a deal. But to just bail out and, and, and go pursue him. And then, obviously, he pulls up and it hits Jarwin. Giants killer, Blake Jarwin. I mean, man, Jason Witten is going to retire at some point and again. And you're going to just, you know, hand the mantle to Jarwin. Jarwin has six career touchdowns. Five of them are in the last three games he's played against the Giants. I mean, it's, it's really Amazing. unbelievable what, what Cowboys tight ends have done to the Giants for the last, you know, millennium, it feels like. Uh, but anyway, so he, that's a huge breakdown there. I don't know what Ogletree's thinking. Um, and then Jenkins, man, I mean, we all remember Curtis Riley in the season finale last year just made a complete business decision. And it was actually Jarwin and just didn't try to tackle him on a, sort of a similar play. And they benched him right away, you know, didn't bring him back as a free agent. Like, that was it. Now, they certainly have not responded the same way to Jenkins, but in my opinion, it's just as bad. I mean, listen, if 250-pound guys running full speed, you know, maybe Jenkins isn't going to be able to stop him in his tracks, but at least, like, dive at his ankles, do something. Because even if you slow him down there, uh, you know, maybe the defense can make a stop and they have to sell for a field goal, or maybe if nothing else, they run clock and you don't have that situation we talked about earlier where the Cowboys wouldn't have had, you know, a chance to get the ball back one more time before halftime. Whatever it may be, I mean, you don't even have to think it that far out. Your just job is your defensive player. You gotta try to make a tackle. I mean, that was that was ghastly. And Shermer, I mean, listen, I I don't ever expect a coach to throw a player into the bus. Like, but I think there's a there's a happy medium between just being completely, you know, like disingenuous about your comments. I mean, everyone saw the play. So you don't have to sit there and tell us that, no, he thought the effort was fine. He used to make the tackle. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, he can very easily say something like, you know, we need better effort on that or we need better technique or, you know, there's always coach speak ways to, to say something. And I don't think, I mean, George Tank is going to watch that film and all his team is going to watch that film. I don't think the locker room is going to revolt if Pat Shermer says, you know, we need a little better effort on that play, but Hey, you know, Jack Rabbit has been great, but you know, he could certainly soften it, but to sit there and just you know treat us all like we don't know what we're looking at and say the effort was fine on that play that that's that's a hard pill to swallow because um, you know again all all the public is is watching that they see the same stuff it's not something like well I don't know I didn't I didn't play in the NFL I can't quite figure out what the coverage was there oh no like everyone who's ever watched the game knows uh, what Jenkins <laughs> did there and, and how inexcusable it is so 
Uh, I didn't think that was a great look by Jenkins, and I didn't think it was a great look by Shermer. Uh, again, I understand, you know, you don't need to throw guys under the bus, but when a guy makes a bad play, they're all big boys. You can say, like, because, I mean, he does it. I mean, Shermer's very good about not throwing guys under the bus, but he'll say, oh, yeah, we need a better throw there, or we could have blocked that better. It's the same thing, but this one was just more glaring because it was right out in the middle uh, for everybody to see. So to act like that wasn't, you know, a, a glaring issue is just kind of tough to swallow. And listen, I mean, Shermer has basically lost the fan base thing at this point. So they're they're looking for reasons to pile on and, and to see his comments say, oh, you know, I thought Jenkins' effort was fine. Uh, that just kind of only enraged the mob, you know, that much more. Yeah, we'll get more into Shermer in a little bit as well. We talked about the the Cowboys' defensive line dominating the Giants up front. Man, the offensive line did it as well. This was kind of more predictable maybe, but the quote from Ezekiel Elliott after the game kind of stood out to me. Uh, 23 carries, 139 yards for Elliott. Uh, that's a season high for him as far as yardage goes, and he's certainly in better shape now than he was in Week 1 when he ran against the Giants. But this was the quote. He said, it was the easiest 140 yards I've ever gained. I don't even know if I broke a tackle. I just ran inside the scheme. Those guys just mauled them up front. Thank them for making it easier on me. I mean, that says it all. And obviously in that quote, he's complimenting his offensive line, but he's also just smacking down the Giants' D-line. Right, right. So yes, I wasn't there for that, so I don't know the, the full tone of it. But I read his full transcript, and it wasn't like he was you know talking a lot of trash. I think, I think he was really just, A, telling the truth, and right. he, you know, really talking up his old line, like, man, this was easy because they were just, you know, wiping guys out. And I was at the second level every, you know, every time he touched the ball, like I said, you didn't have to break tackles. It was just like, boom, he was through a hole every, every time he carried it. So um, I don't think he meant to like, I mean, indirectly, obviously he's, you know, he's taking a shot at the Giants, but if I'm the Giants, I'm offended because of your performance. I mean, that was, right. I mean, we were told that the run defense was not that bad. We were told that the defensive line, you know, was the strength of this team with guys like, you know, Dexter Lawrence and BJ Hill and Dalvin Thomason. And then you added Leonard Williams. So like, this was supposed to be like a, a formidable front line to see it get gashed like that. And Williams, first game is, is, is that's another, you know, tough pill to swallow today. Uh, I know, I know it's his first game and, and I'm not saying like, you know, it's Leonard Williams, you know, that, that defines him as a giant or anything like that. But, but man, you, you would expect to see a little better effort because all we heard about was, you know, how, how much of a, you know, big, strong, deep defensive line they all of a sudden had. And it made no difference, uh, you know, Williams or Lawrence or Tomlinson, whoever was out there. I mean, B.J. Hill was the guy who we knew someone was going to sort of be the odd man out in that rotation, you know, once they brought Williams. And it was, it was certainly B.J. Hill. His playing time was cut significantly. Um, and, and, you know, I think it speaks a little bit with the Williams thing. They only played two defensive tackles, you know, most of the game. They're always in nickel because, you know, teams are running a lot of three wide receiver sets. So, you have to match up accordingly with a slot corner. And I just, it, the resources thing, I, I always come back to that. It's like, you know, you've they've got, you know, four pretty, you know, heavy investments on the defensive line and only two of them are on the field at a time. And, uh, you know, again, you can rotate those guys, but when BJ Hill's only playing, you know, I think it was like 25% of the snaps. I mean, are you really getting much of a return on him? Uh, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was troubling to see how easy Dallas did that. I mean, listen, they got a great offensive line and Zeke is the perfect back to run behind them, but, um, and it wasn't just the defensive line. The linebackers are, are you know, terrible. There's no other way to describe that the defense, the linebackers. I mean, Buchanan was this guy that for some reason people are excited about. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Tampa Bay cut him after really not even playing him. He's, you know, he's been a non-factor. Uh, David Mayo, there's a reason why, you know, he's been a career special teamer. He plays hard. He plays physical, but there's just obvious limitations there. You, I mean, my feelings in Ogletree are well documented. I just don't think 
and this goes back years, even when they were good in 2016, you'd be hard pressed to find a worse group of linebackers year in and year out that the Giants just continue to trot out and they, they change guys and they bring people in and they, you know, they don't really draft guys, but, and it just continues to be a, a glaring weakness. And now you're running a three, four, those middle linebackers like need to be the heart of your defense. And, and they just aren't, they're just not, I mean, they're just, they're just complete non-factors and, and it shows up when, it, you know, Dallas just runs it down the throat and the guy's saying that was the easiest 140 yards I've ever had. Listening to uh, Williams after the game was, was, I guess, interesting just because, so he said, as I get more comfortable here and learn the plays a little bit better, I'll, I'll be more comfortable out there and be able to play better. But I feel like all of the Jets fans in the tri-state area are listening to that and saying, well, you were with us for a long time and, and you never played any better than that. Is it, is it even more concerning about Williams' performance because it's pretty much what he did as far as being disappointing with the Jets for a number of years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if even concerning is the word, but it, it just felt like that's what you were kind of told to expect from him. You know, there's a few plays yeah, where that's he who definitely... He is. Yeah. Uh, you know, got pressure. I mean, he had the you know roughing the passer that he, he got away with because uh, I think Dallas had a penalty to negate it. But um, he was in the backfield a few times, very close to making sacks, didn't make the play. Uh, run defense really wasn't a factor again because you know when you're giving up six yards of carry to to Zeke, there's no one is really getting uh, any kudos up there. So uh, I mean, listen, it's one game. He definitely, I, you know, I think was still very much learning things. I mean, as much as he might have some familiarity because of the, the uh, carryover from what he did with Todd Bowles to what James Betcher runs, there were plays literally you could see him, you know, getting directed by either Tomlinson or, or Dexter Lawrence, like kind of pushing him. Oh no, you gotta be over here. You gotta be over there. So, I mean, he's, he's clearly still settling in and I certainly shouldn't make any judgments on him uh, off of one game. But when the one game kind of matches what you were told to expect, that's where you say, oh, like, okay, like, is it going to be that much different? And again, we'll see. I mean, my prediction right now, he's going to go out and have two sacks on Sunday because the Jets' offensive line stinks. He's going to be highly motivated, and then that'll be the game that gets referenced when they sign the sixty million dollar extension. You know, it's just you can see this coming from a mile away that he is going to have you know, a huge game against his old team against a bad offensive line. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it how it plays out here over these next seven games. But I just felt like that's sort of what you know we were warned that like. You know, he, he's he's almost makes a lot of plays, doesn't make a lot of plays, and that's what we saw on Monday night. All right, we're going to move on a little bit to um, Pat Shermer and the heat that he's facing as well. Before that, uh, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or they avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants to get a free online visit and free do two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Giants for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Giants. All right, on to Pat Shermer now, uh, Dan, and... He challenged another pass interference. 
I feel like we talk about this every week. It hasn't been every week because he's only done it five times, but he's 0 for 5. This time it was in the end zone. Uh, Evan Engram, it, it was clearly pass interference, but we've learned that it clearly doesn't matter in the NFL this season because they're not going to overturn these plays, and Shermer continues to somehow defend himself for just giving away timeouts, basically. Um, did he have a different story this week, or is it the same old tale? It's it's getting hard to to because he, he understands how fruitless it is, and yet he continues to do it. That's what makes it it's hard to wrap your mind around. Because it'd be one thing if if he was just you know like blissfully ignorant, like well it was pass interference, so I'm going to challenge it. But like he acknowledges that they never get overturned. I mean he he didn't challenge sort of a questionable call late in the Detroit game last week, and basically said like we know they don't get overturned. So it's like okay, the light finally went on. And then, listen, I, this was 100% pass interference. Uh, I think you said the end zone, but it was around the five-yard line. If this right, happened sorry. in the NFC Championship game, you probably would have a whole, you know, offseason of people going nuts. I mean, not that no, not the players that big of a deal. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it was blatant. It, it's, it's really a farce what the league is doing with not overturning these calls. I mean, if you're not going to overturn that, I mean, the guy crashed through anger before the ball got there. If you're not going to overturn that, it, why are we even doing this? But... You just have to understand they're not going to overturn it. Like, I, I just don't understand that mental block he has. Like, it's almost like he's trying to make a point. But, like, what right. is it accomplishing? All you're doing is wasting a timeout and, and a challenge, which, you know, I mean, you never know when, when it happens in the game. You might need it down the road. But it, it, it's just, like, it goes back to everything with Sherman. Like, he gets so emotional and so wound up in things that he doesn't, like, just have that kind of steady, like, there's no that, you know, Belichick, like, always in control and always thinking two steps ahead. He's just very reactionary. You know, he whips the flag and he's flailing his arms and all this stuff. And, and listen, I understand why he's upset. It was a, you know, a bad call. You're desperate for a play there. And, and and everyone knows it was a penalty. But like he says stuff like, oh, like, you know, I believe in the system. And I and like, why? Like, it, it's clearly the system <laughs> is rigged. So just stop believing it. Like, I, I just don't understand that, that, that stubbornness. And, and it, again, it's, it's tough because, like, the, the league has brought this on themselves. I mean, they've made it a complete joke. But you ha- at some point, you have to understand that's the case and just stop doing it. I, I, just, I just can't I can't fathom why he continues to do these challenges. Um, and, of course, it doesn't get overturned. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why he does it. He, like, from Monday through Saturday, he seems to understand that it's a, a, a worthless endeavor. And then on Sunday he loses his mind and, and the red flag comes flying out. And the broadcast was was kind of comical almost to listen to because they have obviously now with all the NFL broadcasts they have the uh, the former official there kind of in the booth for anything questionable about the rules and he immediately comes on and he says that's absolutely pass interference and there is absolutely no way that they're going to overturn this call <laughs> and that they pretty much left it at that on the broadcast and then sure enough that's what happened I mean this rule the the ability to challenge pass interference is there for one purpose if something egregious happens in a NFC or AFC championship game in the final minutes they'll be able to fix it because that's the reason it's there yeah. otherwise there's just no point in it and I, I just don't get it now um on I guess on the positive side for Shermer, you mentioned it that kind of fans have turned on him at this point. Somehow the players haven't. Um, after the game, Dan, you, you know, talking to players and they all continue to support their head coach. Is that going to change at any point, or do you think that he's just put himself in a good position as far as these players go that he's respected to that level? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'll say one thing first. It's never a good sign when the questions are even being asked. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't <laughs> asked. They weren't asked last year. They weren't asked at two and two, two and four. Like it's it's only when things really start rolling. Once the questions start getting asked, the next step is Shermer getting asked at a press conference if he's worried about his job security, and, and he'll say, "No, I don't think about it. You know, I got a job to do." And, and you know, every coach you know reads from the same script on that. But it's just never good when it starts creeping in. But yeah, I mean, Jabril Preppers had you know very strong like. He said he like 100% absolutely still believes in, in Shermer. He's a great coach, great man. You know, we have to play better for him. Engram was asked, and you know, he, he basically, his answer was 100%. Like, he didn't even expound. Like, that that said it all. He I mean, listen, the, the players like and respect him. But we've also seen that, like, that isn't the only ingredient. It goes back to, like, when so much stock was put in the fact that they played hard last year. I mean, like, so as long as you don't have like a mutiny in your locker room or guys just, you know, blatantly not trying, like that's enough to stay employed as an NFL head coach. I mean, of course it's not. There's a much higher bar that you have to hold these guys to. I mean, I, I get why players like Shermer. I mean, he treats them very well. I mean, he's certainly more in that players coach mold. I mean, I think he, but I, I don't think they walk all over him. I don't think it's like, a, you know, a Freddie Kitchen situation. I think he has, I think he's pretty fair. I think he takes the time to develop relationship with guys. Um, you know, I don't think he's too taxing on their bodies during practice like just little things he's been around the league a long time he understands you know what is important to players and how to relate to them so all that stuff is great but it, i mean it's a results-oriented business so yes i i fully believe that that locker room still likes pat Shermer, still supports pat Shermer. the thing that i think fans won't grasp as bad as that 2017 season had went People still in that locker room liked and respected Ben McAdoo. I mean, granted, he lost a segment of it. Don't get me wrong. And there were some complete knuckleheads on that team. But there were guys who were still like saying, I don't think he should have got fired. It wasn't his fault. You know, like they, you know, maybe it was the player's fault. But they're saying it wasn't It wasn't McAdoo's fault that, you know, this guy acted out or that guy acted out. So, you know, it's hard to really lose a locker room. And, and I don't think Sherman will. But, I mean, again, it's, it's a results-oriented business. So, uh, it'll be great that all the guys will you know be sad to see him go whenever that day comes if, if things keep you know going this direction but it just doesn't it doesn't really matter that much i mean again it's obviously better to have him in this position than than have you know things completely go off the rails but it just, it just doesn't matter that much to me that players like and respect him if they're just not producing on the field which again that's what he's evaluated by you know first and foremost Maybe the only thing worse than those questions starting to pop up post game is when you have to get a vote of confidence from your your GM and ownership. That's the true uh, kiss of death for the head coach. Couple oh, yeah. of other things. Well, yeah, we'll right. remember in, in 2017, uh, you know, John Mayer and Steve Tisch put out a, a formal statement that Ben McAdoo, you know, was safe, and I, I think it was like you know, we won't make any evaluations until after the season. And three weeks later, Eli gets benched, and they and and. Uh, McAdoo and Reese get fired. So, yeah, you yep. know once that happens, they're totally off the rails. But, you know, Gettleman, Mara, and everyone have kind of gone underground. So I, I, I'd be very surprised if there's anything in season. Again, maybe nothing even after the season. But I will say this. If they lose to the Jets on Sunday, these conversations are going to get accelerated. And, and I saw John Mara at halftime. And, you know, he looked like, you know, he was – you've all seen that clip probably where he threw the chair in the in the owner's box a few years back. It looked like it was that kind of night for him. He, he does not take losing well. And if they come out and, and lose to the, the lowly Jets uh, on Sunday, it'll get ugly fast. And, and I really think that uh, it could certainly change things. I've been saying all along, I don't, I don't think Shermer's going to get fired. I don't think he's going to get fired in season. But things change. And, you know, if he wants to have some job security, he better win that game. I can't imagine this team losing to the Jets. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, having watched them as well. But, um, 
one other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, and and you had a tweet today, I think, about just the receivers' inability to get open, and and you brought up um, next gen stats and the the average openness of a receiver, basically in the NFL, and the fact that the Giants' three receivers aren't even getting close to that. Um, the one guy that probably would be is Sterling Shepard, and he continues to be out, Dan, and he was off the concussion protocol, and then we find out over the weekend heading into the Monday night game that he's back on the protocol. Um, I mean, that's just bad when you're dealing with concussions and you see guys take you know, the steps forward but then have to take steps back. Um, considering where this team is, me as an onlooker, just concerned for humans, feels like maybe Sterling Shepard shouldn't play football this season, but where do you think he's at? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll start with the just your football point there with the separation. I mean, I'm going to bang that drum all season because Daniel Jones, can he get a receiver open? Like, is there ever anybody just running open like that Amari Cooper touchdown? When's the last time you've seen him throw a pass like that to a guy with just, you know, open field and easy throw and good protection? I mean, he's got a bad offensive line and receivers who can't get open. So and the, to connect that to Shepard, Shepard is the one guy on this roster who has, you know, consistently demonstrated an ability to get open. So I think he is sincerely missed. And to your to your point, though, he might be missed for the rest of the way. I, I don't think there's any way to to definitively say that he's going to return this season because you know we've talked so much on this podcast about two concussions in four weeks and and how dangerous that is and how scary that is. And then you know all systems go. He gets cleared by an independent neurological consultant. So it's not like it was the Giants, you know, pushing him on the field. I mean, this is. You know why they do things the way they do in the NFL, where it's an independent doctor said he's good to go on Friday afternoon, so he's ready to play. And then all of a sudden Saturday night, you know he feels some symptoms come back. They they kind of wait to see how he's feeling on Sunday. Wakes up, same deal. So they have they shut him down, and, and you know he doesn't play obviously on Monday night. Now where he stands going forward, Shermer didn't you know give any definitive uh, update on that on Monday. He basically just said it's a very serious situation, and we're going to treat it very seriously. But I don't know. I mean, he's back in the concussion protocol. I don't know if he goes all the way back to square one, which it's a long process to, to work your way through it, as we've documented. But since he didn't suffer a new concussion, I don't know if it's just like they can kind of put him back to where his last step was. I don't know how all that works. That, that remains to be seen. I would think with the Jets game and then a bye, they would certainly not rush him back this week. So I think you're looking at at least two more weeks off. It's just become such a serious situation. Everyone is well aware of you know the severity of concussions, the long-term impact. So there's a chance we don't see him on the field again this season. I mean, there's a chance he plays Sunday. Who knows? It's hard to predict. But I think the fact that, you know, this is, you know, a third time now where he's had an issue, I think they're really going to step back and make sure that, you know, he's not rushed through this process and, and they don't get him back on the field until they are fully, you know, comfortable and confident that, you know, there won't be any more issues. But I don't know how you get to that point. So, again, maybe the, the, the best option for all parties is to just shut him down. Yeah, we'll have to monitor. We'll keep an eye on it. If there's anything that can get the uh, current Giants receivers wide open, it is the Jets secondary. So we'll see what happens coming up this week. We're going to have a special podcast, actually, later this week. Dan and Connor Hughes from our Jets podcast are going to come together. We're working out the details. We're trying to come together for a super New York football podcast. Um, But... We'll try to get that to you later in the week. If you need a break from the Giants or the NFL and want to hear what's going on in the college football game, be sure to check out the Andy Staples Show with Andy Staples for his instant reactions and takeaways from the weekend in college football. Bowl season is right around the corner, so be sure to listen to the Andy Staples Show right here 
on The Athletic. Thanks for joining us for our free episode. Please subscribe. Give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're considering a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast for 40% off a one-year subscription. Follow Dana on Twitter. dduggan 21 is where you'll find him. Thanks to Marissa Morris, our producer. And we will talk to you again later this week.